today. Lovely. We're in Second Peter. And uh, if you have not got your Bibles, um, then you've probably got a phone with a Bible app and it's okay to open them whilst we're in church. I'm okay with that because a lot of people do access their Bibles on their phones these days. And so we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1 and going from verse 12 today. But I'm not sure if you're into watching sporting documentaries or not. Anyone into watching sporting documentaries? There was a great one this week, um, which I didn't see, unfortunately, on Foxtel 360 um, about Geelong's win last year in the grand final. Um, so I, I might have to try and see how I can watch that in future. Anyone want to share your Foxtel Go? That'd be great. But um, it fascinates me how a stirring speech by a coach at halftime or three-quarter time can make such a difference to a team. The team might have been on top, say, in the first half, and then momentum swings against them, and now they find themselves behind and, and with a real battle and fight on their hands to get back on top. And in comes the coach with some carefully considered words and motivation to set the team straight and to set their thinking straight. And the team is stirred up, they then come out firing and win the game victorious in battle. So when we get a bit lost or sidetracked, we too often need a pep talk to get our minds back on track. Maybe even we might even need a kick up the butt to get us back on track with our purpose and get back in the game. And there are countless stories of great coaching moments and, and great leadership moments as well as the, the team leader gathers the troops around, gives instruction on how to win, sets the thinking straight so their actions can be together, effective and focused and all the training and effort they've put in over their entire life leading to this moment pays off and that gives them every team, every opportunity for success. Over time in our Christian lives and churches, we can sometimes, however, get a bit complacent, rest on what we know and maybe on our past victories and begin to get comfortable and relaxed with the status quo. We can let our guard down. And if we're not careful, we can loosen our grip on what matters most and begin holding on to things of lesser importance because they give us security and confidence in the things that are comfortable and known. Second Peter will not help us if that's what you're looking for from the passage today. If all you want is an a stirring encouragement to stay comfortable and relaxed with the status quo, sorry, you're not going to get that from this passage today. Because if you remember, Peter is writing this letter to the churches whilst awaiting execution in Rome. He wrote this as his final instruction imparting wisdom of the most importance. There is a sense of urgency in this letter. We saw last week that he gets right onto business immediately. No pleasantries. He then addresses things he believes are of utmost importance for the health of the church. We received instruction last week to be transformed and empowered by grace by cultivating seven virtues, and those were moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, 
perseverance, godliness, brotherly affection and love. And in verse 12 today, Peter, he gives us a bit of a pep talk. He gives us a reminder, a stirring up for us as Christians in holiness. He says in verse 12, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. You know, the scriptures are the most important resource to us as believers. Peter wants us to not only know their value and importance, but to also motivate us to draw upon them so that we grow in grace, so that we are empowered and transformed by grace. He seeks to remind us of what we already know. You know, it's nothing new really to us as believers. We know how important the scriptures are to our growth and we know the foundations of our faith. We shouldn't need to be reminded of the importance of drawing deeply from God's word to train us, instruct us, encourage us, rebuke us, direct us and comfort us. So why does he give this instruction? Because Peter knows our human nature. We need constant encouragement to continue to develop healthy spiritual habits of immersing ourselves in God's word because life gets busy and we, we get crowded in by the noise of busyness. That noise grows and grows. We need the reminder to listen to the still, quiet voice of our Heavenly Father. We need the pep talk every now and then to remind us of what's best, even when we are busy with what's good. And so we must not glide lightly over Peter's concern about reminding us of already known and familiar truth. The history of the church as a whole shows how careless the church can be about clinging to divine revelation. Many Christian traditions have already lost sight of the truths of justification by faith alone and salvation as a free gift. We need to be vigilant to uphold the truth of Scripture. And Peter stresses this importance because he knows his physical earthly presence was about to end. Jesus has told Peter that his earthly life would end as a captive of some kind in John 21. And he was captive now, awaiting execution as a martyr at the point that he was writing this letter. And so he knew it wouldn't be long for him. So he made provision that his teaching would remain available to them. Do you know how he did that? It's called the Gospel of Mark. Many believe that Mark was the preaching material of Peter. After the death of Peter and Paul, Mark who had been Peter's disciple and interpreter, handed on in writing the things which Peter had customarily preached. It's believed that Mark wrote down accurately, though not necessarily in order, all that Peter had recollected of what Christ had said or done. The Gospel of Mark was the first Gospel written, and it was written not long after Peter's death. And it was most likely written at the instruction of Peter to his disciple Mark in his final days so that his preaching content would not be lost but would remain for the church. 
So Peter gives us this reminder of what God has revealed. He gives us a pep talk to stir us up, not only to cultivate virtues and live our lives by an active faith, but to also remind ourselves of the truths of Scripture, our deepest authority. He reminds us to keep biblical morality in the forefront of our daily pursuits as Christians and to pay attention to God's word. We are the direct beneficiaries of Peter's provision of the words and works of Jesus. We have Mark's gospel. We can read basically what the content was of what Peter preached. And from verse 16, Peter then explains why we can have confidence in his teaching and instruction and in Mark's gospel. It's because he was a trustworthy witness. And as a trustworthy witness, his preaching was a result of his eyewitness testimony. Verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honour and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter explained that his reminder came from someone who was an eyewitness of Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry, himself, to heighten respect for his words. Peter and the other apostles had not preached myths or cleverly devised fables as false teachers whom Peter refers to later in this letter were doing. They had simply recounted what they saw and witnessed firsthand, firsthand testimony with their very own eyes. Their approach was very simple. Tell the real stories about what they'd seen Jesus do and what they'd heard Jesus say. That's encouraging and comforting. That, that is their approach that they took. They didn't embellish. They just faithfully retold and recounted what they had seen and heard. See, they had personally observed Jesus' power in action during his first coming as God's anointed Messiah. And Jesus Christ's majesty appeared especially clearly on the Mount of Transfiguration. The apostles' message was essentially that Jesus was the Christ, God's promised Messiah. God had revealed that clearly at Jesus' transfiguration when he had announced that Jesus was his beloved son. And Peter referred to that event to establish the credibility of his witness and that of the other apostles. He used terms like honour, glory, majestic glory and holy mountain all to enhance this special event that was the transfiguration. And that event was recorded by Mark in chapter 9 and from verse 2 he says, After six days Jesus took, him, took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them, the whitest of whites. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. 
And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. That would have been an amazing sight to witness, wouldn't it? And rightly so, Peter, James and John are terrified. Peter wanted to memorialise the moment by making structures for Jesus, Elijah and Moses to dwell in. No doubt he couldn't make sense of what was going on and, and was battling, thinking through all the Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah, wondering where all this fits in within that, how it all worked, what was happening, what, what was going on. And it was, it, was, it was quite a moment. But God then spoke. God spoke. He said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. We would do well to listen to Jesus as well. You see, when so much of Scripture has been revealed to us, and there are thousands of passages that speak on so many different topics, our mind can go into a spin. We can easily get distracted by the breadth of information we are given. Our minds can go tra crazy trying to fit it all together, trying to make sense of what's happening around us and how it all works and what's happening and how does it fit and what will happen now, what does happen later. How does it all work together? I don't know. And in the moments, remember, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Jesus didn't go into great detail about the future about his second coming, about the rapture, about his millennial reign, about the tribulation. He gave us glimpses because that's not what is of most importance. This is what is of most importance. Where Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age keep the main thing the main thing peter is a champion of keeping the gospel the central focus he is a champion of being inspired by the word of god the truth of scripture to have it shape your life and to live in holiness and cultivate godliness he preached jesus as an eyewitness he preached what he'd seen and heard with his own eyes. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Whenever we get distracted, we should heed these very words of God. Listen to Jesus. Bring the hope of the gospel. Teach the hope of the gospel. Baptize those who have come to saving faith through the hope of the gospel. A joyous thing that we get to witness later today with the baptisms of Jordan Maggie. When we listen to Jesus and are captivated by him, when we obey his commands and teaching, our lives become shaped by the gospel and through intentional effort are transformed and empowered by grace. It's all about Jesus. Peter then addresses the divine origin of the scriptures supporting the trustworthiness and value of them. Verse 19, he says, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns 
and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter emphasises that the witness of the apostles, as well as the witness of Scripture, all came from God. He did this to help us see that our choice for authority boiled down to accepting either God's word or the word of men, specifically men who disagreed with God's word. This word more fully confirmed from this passage means that the prophetic Old Testament scriptures confirm the witness of the apostles. And the morning star here is the star, it was actually a planet called Venus, that appears late at night just before dawn and announces the arrival of a new day. Just like that star, Jesus Christ's return at the rapture will signal the beginning of a new day, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, as the Old Testament prophets used it, refers to a far distant day in which God will act dramatically in history and this includes the tribulation and the millennial reign of Christ. Peter's point was that in view of the Lord's return, Christians should give attention to the Old Testament and to the apostles' teaching, especially since false teachers were perverting them. That was the only real light available to enlighten them. The so-called light of the false teachers was no light at all. That Peter adds a word of clarification about Old Testament prophecy and scripture in general. No single person's interpretation of the scriptures should be given credibility if it is not consistent with the rest of scripture and the broad consensus of the church over time. And similarly, all prophecy of scripture came about from the Holy Spirit's leading. It was God's direction and revelation. So when the Old Testament speaks of Christ, we should pay attention to it because it's God's revelation to us about Jesus. The Holy Spirit was the active revelatory agent working within those who wrote the scriptures. All scripture is God-breathed, as you read in Timothy. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit. At the same time, God used the men's own personalities, knowledge, background, vocabulary and style, but they were carried along by the Holy Spirit who directed their writing. Scripture is fully the word of God, even though it is recorded in the words of human beings. We don't exactly know how. That does remain a mystery. But we can have confidence in the revealed word of God that it is God's word. And as Christians, it is our ultimate authority. So when someone comes and says, God told me this or, or God told me that, there are some easy and practical things to help us determine and discern the truth. First, is it consistent with the rest of God's revealed word? Second, is it consistent with sound biblical church doctrine? And third, is God's spirit and leading and revealing the same to others? See, many people who commit spiritual abuse failing one or more of these things. The young, naive and sheltered girl told by a doting crush that God told him they were meant to be together. That might just be raging hormones speaking at best and pure lust at worst. If you're meant to be together, God will reveal that to more than just the two of you. 
And certainly over time, as trust develops and each remains above reproach in their behaviour in public and in private. Or the leader who claims a special personal revelation from God. You know, that's how cults begin, especially when it doesn't line up with the rest of scripture and doctrine and great harm and abuse can and has happened from those situations. So when God moves, he moves more than just one person on things of great importance. He sows seeds among many people and creates a fertile environment for his work to succeed. Yes, he may cause some individuals to play a larger part than others, but it will mostly be a movement of consensus supporting the direction and leading. When it is just one person out on their own, and a general consensus doesn't flow within the church or group of believers, then maybe it's not the word of God or even the will of God. False teaching flows from the minds of men and women. Truth flows from the heart and mind of the living God. The prophets did not simply give their own views of how things were or would be. They spoke as God's mouthpieces and articulated his thoughts in words accurately and represented those thoughts accurately. We should be wary of those who self-proclaim prophet status, just as we should be wary of those whose teaching does not align with the scriptures, which Peter goes into more detail in chapter 2 as he addressed false teachers more directly. But in these verses today and last week, we have seen that we have adequate resources for our own spiritual growth in the apostles' teaching and in the Old Testament. We just have to pay attention and recognise their authority as the words of God. In the 2019 movie Togo, the main character is charged with transporting life-saving medication across a difficult, icy path. And he takes up the challenge because people's lives depended on it. Without that medication, they would certainly die. And so he sets off on this perilous and dangerous journey across frozen mountains with his dogs pulling his sled. As he battles the icy paths, he comes a cropper and he starts sliding down a steep icy ravine. And we'll need sound for this one, please.
good dog. Next time I go the wrong way, you tell me to go to hell. Good dog. Good dogs all! <laughs> you know, sometimes it might seem that we're sliding down the slope towards our impending demise as we fight against the current of culture and as we face the perilous journey as a Christian in our world. Our instincts might be to withdraw and to stay home and shelter our existence. It's much easier to be holy when we stay in our comfortable homes, in our comfortable churches and with our Christian friends. God has given us all the resources, though, to thrive in godly living, as Peter encourages. And it will be so much easier, though, if we just stayed in our comfort zones. After all, it's much easier to cultivate those virtues in the comfort and encouragement of our holy huddles. But people's lives are at stake. Their eternal destinies are in our hands. And God hasn't called us to a holy huddle. He has called us to go, to bring the hope of the gospel to our community. And that means that we must navigate the difficult terrain of culture, the steep icy slopes of temptation, and the challenges that being in our world represent. Something, sometimes we need a reminder, we need that pep talk to live out those virtues, but maybe we also need a pep talk to reach out to those who need the hope of the gospel. And times will come where it feels like everything around us is careening towards the edge of a ravine. It's in those moments where we need to listen to the voice of Jesus. Just like Togo heard his master's voice and was able to effect great change and lead others to safety, so it is with our master. Listen to the voice of Jesus. As we listen to him through his word, he will effect great change in us and help us be transformed and empowered by his great grace. Listen to him. And as we listen to him and follow his leading, he will use us to change the eternal destinies of others as we introduce them to the hope of the gospel. As we listen to the voice of Jesus, he will guide us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake and lead others along that path. Listen to him. Lord Jesus, I pray that each one of us would listen to you. That, Lord, we would not be satisfied staying in the comfort of our Christian homes, of our Christian churches and with our Christian friends. But, Lord, we would reach out into the community that you have placed us in, the people that you have placed around us who desperately need the hope of the gospel. Lord, their eternal destinies are at stake. But Lord, it can sometimes be scary, it can sometimes be dangerous, it can sometimes, we, we can be fearful. We can, be, we can fear rejection. We, we can fear so many things. But Lord, in those moments, may we listen to you. May we listen to the voice of Jesus whose encouragement was, go, I'm with you. To the very end of the age, I am with you, therefore go. 
make disciples. Teach them. Baptize them. Lord, use us to help bring other people to a saving faith in you. Use us to bring the hope of the gospel to the northeast, we pray. In your name. Amen.